Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 170. Thank you for joining us. Today, Bonnie and I are joined by Colby teachers Kim Crawford, Amanda Hayes, and Beth DeBrosi to discuss writing. For many students and parents, the process of writing can be intimidating. Our guests advise us on what are reasonable expectations, some of the pitfalls in the writing process, and how we can guide our students to success. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom of four lads and lasses, liturgical musician, popcorn, and podcast fanatic. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Stephen, what's a good word? I forgot that you were going to ask that today. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, let me do something else. I can do something no, else. No, the, the, no, it's the so <laughs> the fra- fractions of a second before, um, before you asked, uh, anticipation came up because mm. I was like, oh, I forgot to anticipate this. And now I'm anticipating a question that I don't have a good answer for. But <laughs> anticipation is the word that... Uh, that we'll see whether it applies to today's um, sub or guests and their their wisdom or or not. I guess. Well, I have been anticipating this conversation with great eagerness for quite a while, and we have lots of anticipation about the start of the school year, which is when this episode will be coming out as as things are getting going with the new school year. So, here from Colby's English and Literature Department, we have Mrs. Kim Crawford, Mrs. Beth DeBrosi, and Mrs. Amanda Hayes. Thank you all for being here. It's good to see you all. How are you? Doing well. Doing great. It's nice to be back and uh, chatting with not only my favorite podcaster, but now uh, (laughs) mother of one of my favorite former students. So there you go. (laughs) Very sweet. That was so fabulous to get to meet you in person in Atlanta and for uh, commencement and, and just get to spend that time with you. And I just ran across a picture that you took of the two of you together, of my son with you at the reception, I was like, oh, there's kid. Yeah, just happy memories <laughs> of the time. That was so fun. And and he is, he has such fondness for you. And he found out that you're teaching the ninth grade Greek literature in which my daughter's enrolled. He's like, what? I'd go back and take that with her. Like, Oh, man, <laughs> I exciting. love having siblings. I am so <laughs> excited to have her in class. Yes, she's looking forward to it as well. Mrs. Hayes, how are you doing? It's been a while. You were with us for um, an episode about middle school. It was somewhere in the episode number 60-ish, somewhere in there. I'll put it in the in the show notes. That was a, a good episode. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're back. You're overdue for coming back to talk to us. Yes. Yeah. It's good to be back and talk more about Colby stuff. Good, good. Mrs. DeBrosi, I'm very happy to meet you today. I have been looking forward to getting to know you a bit. Would you tell us a bit about yourself and your family and your background and your Colby connection. Thank you for inviting me. Sure. It's been uh, well, many years, we'll just say many years, that <laughs> I've been <laughs> connected with Colby in some capacity, but it started when uh, my husband and I were homeschooling our four children. And uh, uh, I guess all but the, but the last two uh, graduated with Colby diplomas. And um, uh, the oldest now is a priest in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and the youngest is uh, here at Hillsdale College, where my husband teaches in chemistry. I um, I got involved with um, teaching in, in co-ops and teaching um, in classical academies. Um, 
it, it kind of all started when I, 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 you know, you're teaching your own children, especially writing and foreign language can fall by the wayside. So uh, for accountability, I'd invite you know, other kids over and then you can't skip it, right? Because, oh, look, they're at the front door. Okay. So, <laughs> so I got into homeschool co-ops first and then ultimately teaching in classical academies and then uh, several years ago with Colby Academy online. So, And what sorts of courses do you teach now for Colby? I teach English, which includes grammar and composition, and I teach literature, eighth grade. I love it. I love middle school. Okay. Well, that is good to hear. That is a, we had that conversation that I had with Mrs. Hayes uh, a couple of years ago that I mentioned earlier. That was a, a really good conversation about middle school. And I've been hoping to follow up a bit. What is it about middle school that appeals to you so much? Hmm. You know, uh, especially Colby families, they haven't lost their innocence and enthusiasm and eagerness. And, and the families are, are living um, beautiful Catholic lives. I love big families. Uh, I, um, uh, I love the chaos that comes with families. <laughs> and um, uh, middle school is especially eighth grade. You know, that's the, that's the, they know that high school is coming and they're anxious for it. And um, it's, it's a great year of, of uh, preparation. Uh, seventh grade. Wow. What a goofy year. And there's a lot of, of uh, silliness in seventh graders that for some reason over the summer between seventh and eighth grade e evaporates. Mm -hmm. And um, sixth graders are, you know, they're eager to be grown up. <laughs> fifth graders, I did teach fifth grade one year, and they were they were still kind of climbing the walls a little bit there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so I, I just kind of landed. I have taught ninth and tenth and even up through eleventh and twelfth in literature. My favorite is just the the those bright-eyed middle schoolers. Okay. That is a a lovely perspective. I've got a rising eighth grader this year. Well, by the time this episode comes out, she'll be an official eighth grader. So I, I, I love hearing that from the, those who with whom they interact so frequently. So, okay. So our topic today is writing, which folks might have guessed from either the title of the episode or the uh, where how we've already gotten started here. We want to give some writing tips to students and parents at the outset of this school year. Um, so to set the scene for that, Mrs. Crawford, as the chair of the English and Literature Department, would you please talk to us a bit about the role that writing plays in Colby courses? Um, Colby is known for having a lot of writing, but would you take it away? Tell us, tell us more about that. Happy to. So writing is foundational in all our courses, and we start early. In K through two, we have a heavy emphasis on the mechanics of writing, you know, forming the letters, the penmanship, sentence forms, you know, just getting their sweet little thoughts down on paper and then, you know, shaping it somewhat grammatically. But in third grade, we really launch into the ideas of ordering the ideas and writing paragraphs, which, you know, from there will come papers and, you know, works of great monumental import. And so third grade is uh, really where the shift happens in our elementary curriculum. And it's a great 
writing growth year. And we actually will be having writing labs. We started with the beginning writing lab for ninth graders and intermediate writing lab for 10th graders last year. Although, you know, any high schoolers can join them. They don't have to be that grade specific. But new this year, we're adding writing labs for grades third through eighth. And that uh, speaks to that third grade year being a pivotal year for writing and uh, just an explosion of growth within it. And I mentioned that writing is foundational to all our courses. We don't just write in English class. We write in literature class. We write in history class and theology. And science does not escape either. And I would not be surprised if Mrs. Powers in math sneaks writing in there sometimes. Sometimes. And it goes along with the whole person, right? Because not only do you need to think well, and we really emphasize critical thinking here at Colby, but you need to be able to communicate it. It's great to have all those thoughts floating around in your head, but you've got to be able to get them down and out. So that way, you know, you can share your the gift of your thought with everybody. And writing is one of the best ways to do that. Speaking is great, but writing can be easily disseminated. Although I guess so can oral things too in this technological day and age, but um, (laughs) writing is just where it happens. So many folks find that, oh, I get flustered when I speak, but give me a pen and I can get down all my thoughts. And so we're here to help you do that well and do it to, you know, a high degree of execution. Yeah. Lots of practice at it. So it becomes, yeah, where it might seem at the outside, like, Oh, there's so much writing, but it, and speaking, we're talking about my eldest who is a a Colby class of 2023 graduate. Oh, I've got a paper to write. Okay. And definitely the amount of practice he got writing papers throughout his time at Colby, he certainly feels well equipped to for the next chapter and and the the prospect of writing paper is not so daunting to him and for mo- for a lot of folks i think it is like a, just a blank page that's very daunting like i said and and just kind of so that's kind of hoping what that's part of what we're hoping to address today and so let's start with that blank page like i said for a student who's approaching a writing assignment how do y'all like to um, encourage that early phase? One thing I always tell my students is that you can always edit bad writing. You cannot edit non-existent writing, (laughs) non-existent writing. And so if, so the goal at first is to just get something down on the page. Don't aim for perfection. You get a lot of, in middle school, especially a lot of students are can be very perfectionistic, especially if they are firstborns or if they just have more of a type A personality, they can be um, they can just freeze. Well, and actually, one thing I found is that my um, ADD students, the, the students who have ADHD, um, often have a large uh, amount of perfectionist tendencies, but with the ADHD aspect of it, they will freeze. And if they can't do it perfectly, they won't do it at all. And the reality is, you know, I just, I tell them, I'm like, all professional writers edit extensively. And so the reality is your first draft does not need to be perfect. It doesn't even need to be good. It can be terrible. 
but I was like, that's fine. Get something on the paper. We can fix bad writing, but I can't fix a blank page. <laughs> so you have to get something down and yeah. Okay. And the, the prompts that are given for the Colby writing assignments, so they're very specific and, and along with them come rubrics, like here's what we're looking for for this. So that's, I think those are two good supports too, to help, help with those. What do you think, Mrs. DeBrosi, about starting a writing assignment? What would you, what do you usually tell your students? You know, I'll, I'll divide my answer into creative writing. Okay. The, the truly blank page, you know, the deer in the headlight. Yeah. And then the writing prompt because they write in all subjects. Sometimes they can't get going because they, they can't think of what to write and how to organize it. So with the creative writing and actually both uh, once you get into that, like the essay question prompt, uh, it's to train them to uh, barrage their brain with questions. And so you can you can just train them to ask themselves the, the who, what, where, when, what kind, um, and then to, to just jot down little those little ideas. Uh, I also tell parents, don't be afraid to do that part with, especially middle schoolers and young high schoolers, because that can just get ideas flowing. We'll often do that in class, you know, and then put the ideas up on the board. But when you're faced with an essay prompt, especially on a test, it's just kind of you, right, in the, in the, in the paper to barrage your, your brain with questions. But before that, the clue is in the question prompt, really. So um, I actually work with students. They just, and, and I totally agree with, with what was just said about the perfectionist. That first sentence, you know, there's just this, oh, they just want that. It's like to get that first sentence right is to train them how to come up with the topic sentence from the question. You know, so if I'm in literature and and uh, and, and it says describe describe the character of Frodo in uh, Fellowship of the Ring, then the clue is in the question and to turn that into the topic sentence. So if the directions say one paragraph, then the topic sentence is Frodo is such and such character. Right. And and then you focus on that topic in the paragraph. And 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 so uh, in middle school, especially to just train them to now let's get that topic sentence. in, and then, of course, you know, the ideas that you train your brain to ask yourself then can flow from from there. Well, that's a good tip. For me, you mentioned that Colby writing prompts are very specific and they often are. And, you know, sometimes it's write a paper on this. And sometimes I try to give my students a choice of a few. And that is to give them choice and to give them some agency in, oh man, I am not writing about that. Oh, but maybe I'll write about this. And so seeing what you have an affinity for in a prompt, that's with you know, a prompted paper with a truly blank page, um, just brainstorming and giving yourself the freedom to let your mind wander. I get um, lots of questions about the college essay since I teach mostly seniors and have uh, the homeroom 12 class. And we talk about the college essay and which is, you know, always a very nebulous prompt. Tell us about an important time in your life. Tell us about something that blah, blah, blah. Just something very vague that you could go 
either bonkers with or just sit there and freeze as mrs hayes was saying and that i just like creating just really letting your mind wander and creating just a weird list and you know okay frogs monkeys the zoo no not the zoo the library okay popsicles and just kind of having free association and you'll eventually hit on something it does take a little time but um, speaking of time, you know, getting from the start and what do I do with this blank page or this prompt that well, maybe I don't want to write and then getting it to completion. And that is time. Give yourself time. Do not be starting that paper the night before. I know that we're all guilty of it. It's possible that, you know, even older people, maybe people who are 47 do things um, <laughs> you know the night before I don't know any I don't know any 47 year olds who do that no, no but um <laughs> but giving yourself time to let those ideas marinate to create a rough draft because again as Mrs. Hayes was saying can't fix air can't fix you know nothing but giving yourself a rough draft then letting it sit and then you can come back to it with fresh eyes and say oh gosh I wrote that that's terrible but I know how to fix it Good, good. Do you guys find ever that um, sometimes it helps to skip that topic sentence and just go go right for what you want to mainly say, and then you can come back and make it craft a topic sentence? If that is the holdup, like, I know what I want to say, but not how I want to start. Absolutely. Sometimes it's easier to start with the body paragraphs because you're like, oh, I want to say this and this and this. And here's that quote. And this is why it's important. And so sometimes it's easier to start in the middle. And then you can always go back and say, okay, this is what I said. Let me shape it into, you know, introducing it. Right. And nowadays, since you're typing your essays most of the time, it's really easy to copy and paste and move sentences around. So if you just sort of get your ideas out there and yeah, as Mrs. Crawford said, you know, um, start in the middle, start wherever you, whatever, you know, idea comes up in your head, you can always move things around later. And, um, and so that makes it a lot, a lot easier than, you know, back in the day in the dark ages when, you know, those of us who were forced to handwrite papers um, or handwriting nowadays, it's really easy to move things around within a document. I was just thinking about a paper I wrote by hand in, in high school and it was about chocolate happily enough, but yeah, it was handwritten. So it was, I was, I was in it from the get go. Yeah. You know, I still have a, a lot of homeschooling families uh, still like the handwritten um, approach. And in middle school, I'll have students ask if they can submit things that way. And if that's the preference, um, absolutely with for the parents and, and the child, then uh, have at it. I, um, I, I have a couple suggestions with that, though, uh, that I think are handy. And, and one, even with typewritten papers, is to separate the, the composition task from the proofreading editing task, because actually different parts of the brain totally are involved with those tasks. So in terms of stream of thought, just the train of thinking to not interrupt that creative process, to just don't worry about the proofreading, editing, the spelling, and not everybody 
is even if they read well, necessarily is a gifted speller. So just separate those tasks and come back to the proofreading and editing later. And then um, if, if handwriting, um, uh, if, if that's the preference, then I actually encourage certainly double spacing because that helps with the rearranging later, but to, to use pen instead of pencil because the, the physicality of a pencil is that it, it bugs some people to have that get dull and then that interrupts the train of thought, right? To go sharpen the pencil and, or even in a mechanical pencil instead of a, uh, an ordinary pencil. Um, but a pen is, is, is just smooth, right? And then guess what? Instead of erasing and interrupting the brain, just cross it out and you write it above it. And to introduce that kind of writer to uh, when they get to the editing um, phase to, to basic proof, uh, proof marks. But all of those things kind of can help with just the creative process. And once their juices start flowing to, 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 to keep it, keep it going. Mrs. DeBrosi, I think that's such an interesting uh Thing that you brought up the physicality of writing because we think of it as such a mental process and you know even such an easy automated process with typewriting but there is that mind-body connection with you know routing it through the hand to get to the brain that's really important and then also things that can trip us up with you know a, a scritchy pencil or a dull pencil or my pen you know is nice and smooth, but darn it, it ran out of ink and the things that can trip us up. And it makes me think about how far we've come to all these medieval scribes hunched over their, you know, scriptorium uh, <laughs> items and drawing in the margins to, you know, here we sit at desks and it's kind of the same, but very different. And especially when you throw in typing. And I, I really liked that you talked about the physicality as well as the mental process. That made a lot of sense to me because like when I, I mean, when I can, when I take my notebook and my pen and go sit down in a chair and I'm writing, I'm just focused on writing and it's, it's, there's more of a quiet atmosphere for me. I kind of like the process, but then as you were talking about that, when I'm sitting at my computer, I'm constantly seeing my mistypings and I'm going back and it's, you know, underline them in red already and I can't handle it. So I have to go back and change that. And then my mind has, has a, uh, it's broken, like you were saying. So that's, I hadn't thought, that's really good. I hadn't thought about that before, but I do kind of like that. I have enjoyed the process over the last year, especially of going and writing my first draft in pen on a pad of paper. And then whether I actually type it in word for word or just come back and redo it in a, an electronic format with that was my first draft. Now I'm just going to reorder it and do it again. It seems to be helpful when I can do that, but that could be why I'm not distracted every single second with alert, uh, misspelling, right. uh, doing all these things that I'm going along. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I would add one more thing, kind of empowering parents is that, um, uh, and Mrs. Hayes was talking about that perfectionist writer. You can um, just know that I don't know how I, I don't know how to spell this word or this word doesn't look right. And to even on the computer to look it up or get a dictionary takes even more time. I I always encourage parents, be your child's walking dictionary, you know, but 
spell it out loud. Don't just show it to them or do it for them. Spell it out loud letter by letter. That's the other thing that makes great spellers uh, in the old days, even before my time. Uh, spelling bees were common. And uh, again, brain research shows that spelling a word out loud so that you not just you don't just see the word, but your brain hears the word. Many learners are auditory. Uh, so to spell that word out loud letter by letter helps to imprint it. <laughs> the, the, the frustration of knowing that your kid misspells this all the time, right? And why aren't they getting it? So another thing that, um, you know, just not to interrupt that creative process, right? We're not in the proofing. We're not in the editing stage. Just be your kid's walking dictionary. How about for homeschooling parents who are teaching writing as a homeschool course themselves and evaluating student work? What words of wisdom do you have for them? So to carry on from something that uh, Mrs. DeBrosi had said, um, it's helpful as a parent to remember that writing is difficult and that writing is made up of many different parts. One part is the physical act of writing. And especially nowadays where a lot of um, a lot of us, I was going to say a lot of kids, but let's be honest, a lot of us are typing rather than handwriting. Your hand can physically get tired, especially your young child's hand, your you know, elementary student's hand can physically get tired writing. And this is where I, I joke that my boys have pencil allergies. Um, as soon as you ask them to pick up a pencil and actually write something, there is much gnashing of teeth and wailing and laying on the chair and I can't do it. Yeah. And so one <laughs> of the things that's helpful is to remember that each part of writing is difficult, but each part of writing is a different task. So there's the physical act of writing, whether that be handwriting or typing. There's the um, ideas, the fact that writing is thinking, and that's why it's difficult, because thinking is difficult. And so thinking up ideas is, is a separate task from writing them down. And then there's the organizing your ideas, communicating them clearly and effectively to your reader in a way that makes sense to another person. And then there's the the last part would be the conventions, the, the spelling, the grammar, things like that, um, which we focus a lot of time on because there's a lot of nuance and detail there that is to, that needs to be remembered. But the reality is that's kind of the last and, and least important part of it. But it is critical to um, communicating effectively to others. It's, you know, I talk about my, to my students that it's, it's an act of charity to your reader to spell correctly and use correct grammar because it helps them understand what you're saying. It's a form of politeness and it's a form of communicating effectively to other people. But so as a parent, it can be helpful if you identify that there's one part of that process that your student is getting really stuck on, it can help to break those apart. So if your student is, um, seems to have great ideas. You can tell they understand the topic when they speak to you, but when they write, it kind of comes across as gibberish. It can be helpful to have them speak to you and you um, dictate, have them dictate to you and you write down what they say for a little bit or type what they say to get them started. Um, if your child has a significant problem with physically writing, then maybe typing is better. Or maybe if they are easily distracted by being on the computer, maybe, you know, as um, as Mr. Hayden had said, you know, the, you know, giving them a pad of paper and 
a quiet room with fewer distractions would be a better choice. And so, and same same thing, if they struggle with grammar and spelling, take that aspect out of getting their ideas on paper, give them a pad of paper without a computer, I underlining every error that they make. So they're not distracted by that and just get them to write and then they can go back and edit. So yeah, so that can be one um, helpful tip is to remember that it's hard. Remember that writing is made up of many different uh, parts. And if your student is struggling with one part, you can separate that part out from the others so that they can get their ideas down. And so you can work on each aspect of writing individually. Uh, parents at home can sometimes struggle with how to judge or evaluate the writing. And students for their part can be, um, feel like it's a mysterious process, you know, and, and feel like the evaluation of it is subjective. And of course, you asked about middle school. Why do I like to teach middle school? Well, that, that is the the uh, classic pushback, right? And and you don't want to get into an argument all the time with your with your children. Colby Online, we use a lot of rubrics, but that's really just a. Uh, I mean, you can do this at home uh, without calling it a rubric and just call it a checklist. And I think especially with struggling writers, now some. Some folks are just gifted at writing and the words flow like a river and you're like, oh, gosh, I didn't say uh, eight pages. I said eight sentences. But um, for those who are struggling, um, just a checklist. I mean, what are they struggling with? And and um, I, I, I have taught many years through the Institute for Excellence in Writing. And there I, I, it, it may be coined. I don't know. Or. <laughs> Uh, but they call it easy plus one. You know what your child is is uh, struggling with. So, you know, the checklist might be the four or five things that they've mastered and put those on the checklist because you want to see those. And then the thing that you're trying to get them to do is the plus one. Right. And, and then and, and then there's your checklist. And in uh, the, the last thing that I always put in was what Mrs. Hayes <laughs> referred to is it's polite to have it edited and corrected. So that's the last thing on the checklist and that they get to after the creative uh, process writing. But, um, but then the child knows what you're looking for, right? And, and especially, uh, you know, boys, they love the checklist. They love the checklist. I did this, I did this, I did this. And you can make that as long a checklist, maybe a, a longer checklist for gifted writers, but a shorter checklist that's manageable, uh, that doesn't look nightmarish for the struggling writer. And then they master that plus one thing. And then, okay, now that just becomes part of the checklist. And we add, what's the next thing you want them to do? And by the end of the year, you and the student will be like, look at this, look what we've accomplished. You know, we went from here and now we're here. I really like that idea of the checklist, Mrs. DeBrosey. Uh, part of it, you know, it takes away some of that subjectivity and, oh, you just don't like that. And it makes it more objective. And then also along with that objectivity, um, it takes away 
the potential for feeling personally attacked because writing can be very personal, right? Like, you know, Mars is a planet. That's a fact. There's no feelings involved there, right? You didn't create that fact. But when you create writing and you're struggling with it or you don't feel like you're doing well, it it can be very emotional. And so having a checklist really takes um, some of that emotion away and some of that, you know, oh, my mom doesn't like the way I write. And speaking of to the other part of that is that your child may have a different writing style from you. And, you know, perhaps you think paper should sound this way, but your child sound this way. And, and that's okay that, you know, your child is a distinct person from you. It's okay. So there it's good to have that checklist for did the, was the argument made? Did they spell things correctly and take away that, you know, oh, well, this isn't how I would write or, oh, and then of course our personal feelings toward our children, like, oh, I can't believe my child is writing like this. I wouldn't do this at all. And I feel like there, it takes away a lot of the emotional potential for emotional, negative emotional um, feelings when it's more objective and for both parent and child. I found it difficult as a, well, I don't teach a lot of writing to my children. Fortunately, my wife takes care of that in our homeschooling situation. But I could see as a parent, especially if you're jumping into this new from, you know, you haven't watched your child come up through the the different grades, but maybe you're jumping in in sixth grade or, or, or wherever to kind of figure out yourself what the writing experience is like at that age. Even I, I remember just after my wife and I were married, we're spending time at my family's house and we had all of these papers that had been saved from like sixth grade on. And we were, you know, graduated from college here and just seeing what I thought were great papers, you know, at the different, it's like, well, that, that's not doing the same thing that this later paper is. They're a different sort of, uh, there's a progression, which of course there's a progression, but I wasn't thinking of that being a recent college graduate. And it's just like, no, all the time I would have been writing, you know, very logically. And and it's just a, so I think that would be even harder if you haven't done it yourself from, from the beginning, but you have to jump in and try to figure out where are things, where do things stand, you know? Yeah. I find it difficult to know sometimes is this sort of, I don't want to use the word like on level or anything like that, but for this child at this, at where they are in this, in this course, or just where they are anyway, with all the caveats. Okay. Move on, Bonnie. Like I have a hard time knowing, is this an appropriate response for this child, for this piece of work? Um, could they do more? Am I asking too much? Am I, are my expectations too high or too low? It's hard for me to kind of know all of that. So, yeah. You know, with that question, because I think that's a really common question, and uh, it, it can be a little haunting to parents. I, I remember when I homeschooled, and and uh, and when I didn't teach others, you know, you can you can sometimes uh, have a lack of confidence, and I, I would put composition in a category like swimming or or, or like sports then which is that here we are, and this is what their skill level is at the beginning of the year, and and try to 
to not um, uh, uh, get distracted maybe by how are they measuring up against others. But here we are with this student because the beauty of homeschooling, right, is, is, um, is individualized approach. Is here we are at the beginning of the year and this is what they're capable of. And then, and then um, uh, approaching it like swimming, you know, and at the end of the year, we made this much progress. Now, my oldest, who's now a priest and, and, and actually, believe it or not, in, in college, uh, trained and, and was a lifeguard. This was the kid that actually, with swimming, looked like he was drowning at every moment, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> <But> <laughs> you get to the other side of the pool and act like he was an Olympic swimmer. You'd be like, yeah, it's great, honey. Um, <laughs> so... You know, sometimes with some skills, you just have to measure the progress, especially with struggling writers. And I, I, I loved what Mrs. Crawford was talking about them finding their voice, right? Especially um, young writers, even, even middle school and early high schoolers, they haven't found their voice yet. And, and sometimes when they put something together, it can sound incredibly awkward or stilted or not the way we would write. And, and uh, it's an exercise in patience. I would just love people who would come up to me and say, oh, you homeschool, you must be incredibly patient. <laughs> and I had to train my children not to roll their eyes. So uh, I, <laughs> you know, it's the virtue I'm working on. Uh, I'm still not there. So you know, sometimes we just have to, uh, it, in fact, I think with, um, as teachers, we have to give a, a letter grade, but um, there, there's always uh, a gauge in there, you, you know, of, of where that person is really at when they come into the school year with a skill level. And the idea is that they, that they, that they make progress. Uh, certainly, as parents, we have to fight sloth and laziness and, and, and those sorts of things. Um, but uh, sometimes it's just, this is not the subject that I feel gifted in. And so it's instilling confidence and, and celebrating, celebrating the progress. That, that's helpful to, to hear that, all of that. Are there other tips that you want to leave with us as uh, for parents, students? So I have a couple of tips and I, kind of codified them at the end of Intermediate Writing Lab. You know, we talked about all these writing methods throughout the year and strategies and, you know, be sure to think about this for your introduction. And then I boiled it down to our last class and I, and I called it Mrs. Crawford's Crazies. And I had a picture that, you know, you drive me nuts with a squirrel driving a nut truck, but I still love you. And so for me, like the thing that drives me nuts is in conclusion, I never, ever, 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 ever want to see that in a paper. And just that drives me crazy. That's a little, you know, personal to me. I think probably my most practical tip is get it together with your commas. Because if you have too few commas in a sentence, then it's hard to understand. And if it, if you have too many commas in a sentence, that also makes it hard to understand. And so just learn how to use commas. And if you know you're feeling fancy, their friend, the apostrophe too, because 
Um, those little, those little curly things that go above or below the line, please. <laughs> I really almost sometimes carry a Sharpie with me and fix them out in the wild when I see them. I, I've only done that once. I just, I just had to fix it. I, I've only done it once, but I want to do it many more times than that. Mm-hmm. I feel you there. Yep. I'm the same way about commas. Like if we get too many going, let's, let's hold on here. Yeah. Let's just look at our comma situation and reevaluate. Yeah. Yeah. I like to tell my students, I'm like, okay, the commas, they're not there for decoration. They're (laughs) not like, you don't just like sprinkle them at random. (laughs) They mean something. (laughs) Yes. More commas, they're lifting more than they should. A lot of time they're, they're doing the work of other, other punctuation marks a lot of the time. Like, hold on. Okay. Yes. Unfortunately, there are there are people like me who, when I speak, I t- constantly qualify things. And so when that bleeds into my writing, those commas just start showing up. It's like, maybe I should have broken that up into multiple sentences. I think I probably could have done that, but... Uh... <laughs> You're a verbal Faulkner, Mr. Hayden. <laughs> yeah, I, was say, I, I am similarly afflicted <laughs> with that, uh, you know... Maybe we would make good Russian authors. <laughs> yeah, half the page is one sentence. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Don't ever try to read a Russian author out loud. It, it doesn't work. <laughs> you will run out of breath and die. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I think the biggest tip that I would have, speaking from a middle school perspective, because I teach mostly middle, middle schoolers, the thing that I notice um, most is, that I can't as a teacher fix, like as, as a writing teacher, you know, there's, there's only so much I can do in the time that I have. But one of the things that I can't fix is a, um, if a student doesn't read very often. So if they don't read for fun and they don't have an extensive vocabulary and an extensive exposure to different writing styles and good writing, I can't, fix that in a couple hours a week, you know, together. So I think one of the biggest tips that I have for parents and is to leave space for reading in in your day-to-day life. I mean, we have lots of distractions. My kids play video games too. My, you know, my kids get distracted with watching TV and stuff. But if you can try to carve out certain times of the day um, where there aren't other things around and, um, and give your kids plenty of access to good books and the space in which to read them. You know, set an early bedtime for them, but let them read with a flashlight. You know, give them a little nightlight, whatever whatever it is. You know, or have my, my one of my friends has um, tech-free weeks. So they'll do a, a one-week fast from tech. And so, yeah, because just reading lots, just read, just you know, the, the more the kids read, the better the vocabulary is going to be, the more, exp- and then as they get to be a very good reader, then you can sort of start um, pushing them towards more quality literature and, um, and you know, more challenging things. But to start with, as they're reading, that, that's going to that's gonna help tremendously with their writing, because it's going to give them more ideas and more background knowledge to draw from, so they have more things to think of. And it's also going to um, familiarize them without any explicit instruction. 
it'll familiarize them with how sentences work, how sentences usually are structured, um, how commas are usually used, and all of that. And so, yeah, so for students, read, read for fun, read what you enjoy. And for parents, just, you know, I think, I think our role as parents is to provide space for our children to, to read. I hadn't really thought of that until recently I was talking to a teacher who was talking about teaching academic writing for like an upper level high school class. And he was saying, which is obvious, but I hadn't thought of it before, that part of the problem for teaching that is children or students at that age haven't been exposed to academic writing, even if they have read a lot. So he was saying one of the things that he does is he tries to give them good examples of what does a good academic paper or uh, essay look like so that they could start to model that. And it was when he said it, I kind of almost slapped my forehead because it was like, of course, how can you write something when you've never seen an example of it before or good examples of it before? But that makes perfect sense as well. Then as you're going along to the more you read, the more you have these good examples of how, what good writing looks like, not, not just uh, making it up on your own or only bad examples. I have a, um, a a tip that uh, as a as a teacher or as a parent, sometimes you can you can look at, at what was written. Here, mom, I did this, and you're like, "Did you read this?" You know, you know, your first reaction is, "Wow!" Um, and uh, you know what? All the way up through, I would say, even early teens. Uh, sometimes as adults, we think, you know, we'll, we'll say, did you edit this? Did you, you know, self-editing, it's a learned skill. Not everyone knows how to do it. And so we kind of have to uh, have to remember that that sometimes what we're asking is not intuitive. So that helps us deal with our personal frustration. Uh, so how can we teach them how to uh edit their own work. And so uh, since uh, now typing is so common, I actually, it, it, again, it gets into how the brain works um, is uh, to not edit on the screen. Now, as it, it depends on your level of skill. I think I can do that pretty proficiently, but I don't think that even middle schooler, certainly not middle schoolers and 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 high schoolers can necessarily do that well. Um, this is what happens in the brain: is that when you're typing, uh, uh, it's a fast process uh, for 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 many students who are tech savvy. The brain knows what it intended to write. And if they edit it on the screen, the brain literally blips over what is not physically there. So I tell students, uh, slow it down. Even if no one is in the room, read it out loud. Then you'll catch some of your own mistakes. And then even better, print it out. You can read it to the wall. You can read it to the dog. But uh, in middle school, I actually have them at the beginning of the year read something they've written to the class and they get there on camera and you can see them go, oh, wait, I meant, I mean, they, then they realize that words are missing or punctuation is missing or 
uh, tagging along with Mrs. Crawford, my my thing these days is random capitalization. I'm like, really? I mean, <laughs> why are we just in the middle of the sentence capitalizing this? I have no idea. Uh, so anyway, that's that's helpful, I think, to train them to do that. And, and, you know, you can just without a lot of emotion and just say, hey, would you read this to me? And they'll catch it themselves. A lot of it anyway, and clean it up. Yeah, that's a really good idea. I hadn't realized how bad I am with those things until I was recording some introductions to our Colby cast. And I would have like a little bit of notes written out. And, you know, you're using something like GarageBand or just any recording device and you start reading it and you think that sounds horrible. Go, I need to go back and change that. And I mean, that sentence is, I, I can't even say that sentence because it's so long and I'm gasping for breath by the end of the sentence or, you know, so that I think that would be a great advice just to with any of these electronic devices, you can just hit record and read it out loud and see how it goes. And when it doesn't read well, go back and, you know make a note there that need to adjust that need to change that sentence need to add punctuation there need to do things that that would be fantastic yeah that's very uh, revealing to hear something you've written read out loud and go oh that's not how i yeah okay well let's talk for a few minutes about the supports that colby academy offers for writing students the writing labs were mentioned. Could we talk a bit more about those? Those are fairly within the past couple of years that they've been that they've been um, introduced. And Mrs. Crawford, you were talking about the the high school writing labs, beginning and intermediate labs, and and now they're onto the lower grades. How do they pair up with the English courses that the students might be enrolled in? How does that all work? Absolutely. We started with the writing labs in high school last year, so it is a brand new program. And Beginning Writing Lab goes with English 1 or English 9, as it used to be called, and it's, you know, beginning composition. And then Intermediate Writing Lab pairs with English 2 or English 10. And it um, it's just a little bit more. We go a little bit deeper. And, you know, writing is a spiraled art, right? Like, in third grade, you're going to have that paragraph. And in 12th grade, you're still writing paragraphs. So it's a matter of nuance and style and really just digging in and improving it to where you're happy with it, or at least not completely embarrassed by it. <laughs> and uh, and so those writing labs are just, they're just extra practice to kind of, and they go a little slower. Each class focuses, you know, very intensely on one topic. And then we have lots of time to practice and students can bring in what they're writing for any class, you know, literature or history and say, um, you know, please look at any of this, but, you know, we're talking about introductions today. Can you look at my introduction? How is this? And so it's a, it's a time for working intensively on all the writing things. And there's a, a focus for the day, but then we can also work on, you know, projects that the student has going on. And so that started last year with ninth and 10th graders. Although um, in my intermediate writing lab, I did have a junior and a senior who, you know, just wanted some brush up and that was totally great. Um, this year we're starting 
writing labs for third grade through eighth grade. And it'll be more of that. It'll have a focused class on, you know, X topic, and then it'll have time to write. And, you know, these are being kind of made from whole cloth and a lot of it will be teacher discretion. Mrs. DeBrosi will have writing lab eight and Mrs. Hayes, I believe you'll have writing lab six or seven. Yes, I've got six. Okay. And so we're, we're relying on the expertise of the teachers to kind of guide and shape the class and um, have, you know, all right, guys, today we're talking about commas, but then also give the time to the students to practice and to uh, craft. Great. That sounds ideal. And so they go with, they don't replace, but they go with the Yes, they do not replace. They go with. Okay. And there are an array of services offered in the area of tutoring and coaching, both by teachers and NHS students. Our our Colby's chapter of National Honor Society offers peer tutoring and variety of, of academic subjects. And on episode 164, which we entitled, this is not a Colby infomercial. Uh, The mom, Lindsay, talked about sending her students to the tutoring time to have them review the papers that that her own students were writing. Now Colby is also offering uh, tutoring by teachers as a separate program. And I'll put a link in the show notes to the episode that discusses that a little bit. So there there are a couple of routes that uh, families can go seeking out additional individualized support for, for writing. So um, do you, do you want to talk more about any of the writing tutoring by the teachers there or get on that? Well, we also have kind of in between the writing labs and the tutoring, we have the resource labs. Mm. So the resource labs are new. We piloted them with just a few students last year, just to sort of, you know, dip our toes in. So the, the, whereas the writing labs are for, you know, any student, who just could use a little more um, help or a little more practice with writing um, to supplement their their ordinary class. The resource labs are more intensive and they're for students who are really struggling with writing. Um, They may have a learning disability or they may just really be struggling with writing Um, or maybe, especially with the pandemic, you know, we have plenty of students who had gaps in education there, you know, where their their public school or their Catholic school shut down, but then like their parents were both working and couldn't fully homeschool. And so, so there were a couple lost years, you know, so, so you have some students who miss some stuff. So we have the resource labs where um, they are more intensive, where um, I do, I'm doing the re- writing resource lab for um, grades six through eight. And so basically we will take the, what projects the, um, students are currently working on in their classes and we will actually work with them and I will go through and work with them one-on-one and give them goals and um, give them independent writing time as I'm working with the other ones in the very small class of the resource lab and um, and so we're working more on their actual projects as they're coming up in their other classes there's no new homework for the labs the labs are just to help students the regular writing labs are more to help students with you know topical things and practicing the craft of writing but resource labs are more to help them with their existing writing assignments from other classes okay i'm glad you brought that up those are part of the student support services program that is is yes. uh, 
being built out and and has a lot to offer over and above what's been offered previously. Okay. So yes, there's an episode on that. So I really am very grateful now that whether a student is in, especially if they're in the uh, online, an online class or even in a self-paced plus class where they're working with a teacher, now there's extra resources to say, okay, um, I think you could use some extra help with writing because it, it felt like at times there, there could be frustration on a teacher's part. Like, I know you need extra help, but I only have so much time. And all I can say is try work more work harder but now i'm glad that you can you can say well we've got this we can help you with or with this we can help you with or that so lots of options for a a student who and a, and a parent parents and students who want their children to get more help with something or need need more help to to be where they want to be that's for sure so as we're coming to the end of our conversation here what final thoughts or recommendations and takeaways would you have for us? Sometimes MLA is scary. And MLA uh, is Modern Language Association's rules and guidelines for how to cite things uh, within the paper, because of course, we want to back up what we're saying um, with various kinds of support, especially from the text. And so it helps with how to cite that within a paper. And um For a long time, Colby has used MLA Handbook 8. It has been updated to MLA Handbook 9, which for numerous reasons um, is somewhat problematic for us Catholics. It's got some language about, you know, updating pronouns. It's some of its example sentences are um, just extra liberal. And so we have not transitioned to MLA 9. However, Two pieces of exciting news. One, our Colby curriculum department has been working on a Colby style guide. And so that is practically everything you need to know about MLA anyway, which is fantastic. But then also, since we do live in such an online world, it's, you know, it's so easy to just hop on the internet and, you know, look it up real quick. And so the Purdue Online Writing Lab or the Purdue OWL, Um, is actually a really good resource. We did not recommend it last year because it was being updated to MLA 9 and we weren't sure what was going to happen with the examples and whatnot. Um, They have not adopted the unsavory examples. And so um, I am 99% sure that we have approved it for continued use. And it is a very good resource. It has MLA, which is what Colby uses. It has APA, it has Chicago, it has all the different styles and it's just very user-friendly. It is also one of the oldest online writing labs around. And so it's very reliable. Um, Some other online resources for MLA are the Guide to Grammar and Writing from the Capital Community College, the Excelsior College OWL, again, online writing lab, and writing at CSU, Colorado State University. And those are all reputable sites that have been around for a while that use MLA. All right, that's great. We'll include links to those in our show notes for this episode. Mrs. Debrosi or Mrs. Hayes, any other any other takeaways or final thoughts you want to leave with us? One resource that I recommend to my middle schoolers a lot is um, Grammarly. 
uh, there, there's a paid version, but there's also a free version. And the free version can be useful. It's just a little notch above your average Microsoft Word spell checker. Um, the Grammarly thing will catch bigger errors like run-on sentences. Um, and one of the big things I've noticed that it's good at noticing is um, verb tenses. So if your verb tenses don't match, if your if your subjects and verbs don't agree, or things like that, it it's pretty good at catching those. So if your student especially hasn't done a lot of grammar before, or if they just struggle with that a lot, um, Grammarly can be re be really helpful. Even just the free version is is really helpful to have on your computer. It just you know runs in the background and it'll pop up with little tips as needed. So yeah, so that can be a good a good tool to use. Good. I wanted to mention ColbyCast episode 70. It's called First Draft Parent in Service with some more of our fabulous instructors weighing in on the editing process and lots of conversation in that area. That's a great um, companion to this episode. And as I mentioned, episode 164, this is not a Colby infomercial. The episode about student support services, I will also include in the show notes. In anticipation of a great school year of writing, I hope these tips that we've discussed today will be helpful to uh, the families who are listening. Mrs. Crawford, Mrs. DeBrosi, and Mrs. Hayes, thanks so much for coming to visit with us. Um, look forward to talking to you all again real soon. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam, Gloriam.